Welcome back, everyone. Now I don't know how to start the podcast because the second time we are trying to record and the first thing we said at the beginning of the last recording was a lie. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> it's a riddle for everyone. You want to share with the, we had a yeah, file error five minutes in just now. So we're saying hi again, but I don't think we said hi last time. I think we just went right into it. Yeah, that's a classic. So hello, a little BTS. We were talking about how the last time we talked about Victoria on the podcast was in 2017, three years ago, which seems like a wild amount of time. But then I remember that we had done the Winds of Winter sample chapter. So it's really only been a year, but narratively, it's been a little while. So to catch everybody up, because we jumped around <laughs> so much, <laughs> narratively, we're at the point where, and jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, Victorion is on his little mission to go and to get Daenerys for a year on. And we last see him narratively in the Iron Islands, extremely chaotic over there. And a lot of time has passed as he's made his way across the seas to where he is now. And we kind of see him in the middle of his journey before we make our begin to make our way to Marine. Well, I mean, they're making their way there, but about to leave right after this point. I love this chapter. It's really, really I good. I love this chapter, moment to moment. And when Makoro ended the scene, the epicness just took another another step. I was already I was already really happy that we were spending time in, at the Isle of Cedars, and I was sensing the placement of Vic's paranoia not being something that I relate to. But I'm also not in the position to be the captain of all of those pirates, and I'm also not dealing with the flesh bag of skin walking around on said island with all those dangers and weird monkeys and also the task that's laid in front of them which i kind of forgot about the scale of what they were up against took me reading this like two or three times for that detail i guess i'm stupid i felt pretty stupid this last time i read through it because i was like i didn't write a note down about that at all but just the the threat of the scale of uh volantis sailing swiftly behind them but also mm-hmm. vic's attention to detail of all the different cities around slavers bay including karth that obviously are going to be helping what's happening at marine against the side that he wants to be on but i'm really impressed by the tenacity and again i don't have to deal with the scale of it so his paranoia is something i don't necessarily relate relate to but his his drive among that threat has been really fun to read about in mm-hmm. this chapter. I made it, spoiler alert, my own. <laughs> You're saying your own, like right in the beginning of mm-hmm. the podcast. <laughs> I had like three, so it's okay. What'd you think? I think it's, well, I think it's cool that we kind of get to see the convergence on Marine from perspective of Victorian, who is so deeply like this poster child and great representation of, the gray joys in general and he's just such an interesting character that i think some people really like him some people don't like him some people find him to be an idiot some people think that he <laughs> is like this unbelievable warrior and you can kind of be all those different things at once too much but hyperbole that, yeah <laughs> i think that he's one of those characters that people feel very strongly about and it's easy to see why as as you're kind of describing the color in this chapter and the momentum as we've been talking about all roads leading to Marine at this point. It's just very exciting um, because Victorian is a character that, as you're talking about him being paranoid, like he lives so deeply in his, what he perceives to be his God, his religion, and everything is 
things aren't necessarily his um, decision. Like everything kind of comes to him or happens to him or is because of his God. And so it's almost <laughs> like we're watching him get drugged along by somebody else in his own narrative. You know what I mean? Between his brother Euron and between his That's interesting. now two gods that he has at the end of the chapter. Um, it's kind of cool to kind of watch him at the mercy of all these different strings that are pulling him while he himself thinks that he's like the man. So right. I very much enjoy this. What else are you going to do in a situation like this, though? He's supposed to have 99 ships at his disposal. Instead, they have 54. What do you think the Ralphs and the rest of the fleet did before they broke off? Or I guess after they broke off, now meeting here at first off... The Isle of Cedars being, look at the map, being the most pitch, picturesque meeting point in Slaver's Bay, just across the world, down along the tip of, of Essos where Old Valyria is, and up inside Slaver's Bay enough, but like enough of a landing point. And I'm assuming they're landing on the southern tip of it, where uh, we're, we're not on the other side where that uh, old town used to, or I guess big pyramid city used to be. What do you think they did do you think that they were actually, was it, do you think it was the storms that separated them in such a manner? Or do you think that there were defectors among? You think that people are like using it as an excuse, like to be late to class kind of thing? Yeah. What do you think? I mean, I think that, no, I, I think that they, the storms were legit. Not that the storms weren't legit, but I do think that people were probably out there trying their best to get there at a certain point. They seem, to me, the way I read it, they seem pretty loyal to Victarion, despite kind of at the beginning we get this little tiff where they're they're saying that this voyage is cursed and Victarion mm. gets upset about that outwardly, even though he's kind of thinking that inwardly. I do see them as being pretty loyal to him because they're like trying to protect him. And so I don't necessarily see them messing around on their way up there but i could be wrong maybe the ones who got there are loyal yeah so anybody that we lost is like those are the people who like made port and were like you know this place is kind of nice here i don't really want to leave imagine being uh so far from home we have almost endless paragraphs about his reaction to the the manner in which they're sailing being foreign to him, like the the mm-hmm. heat, how the heat of the sun is different, how the color of the waters are different. I loved that description of the water and everything like that. Maybe we, can we read that Go a little bit? It. Because, well, who knows where it is? Give me a second. I just think there's such so beautifully descriptive, especially as somebody who is from a sea town with like a from lot of island. cloud coverage <laughs> you would think though that he would find solace in the sea in some way but it's like all of this is so deeply foreign to him yeah it's so different and imagine being that far from home while you look for this quote think about it and you've just split up from your captain we're leaving like you said the chaos of the king's moot and the iron fleet being sort of restructured after euron's taken charge well i mean i feel like this is the perfect time for them to be maybe not the guys that were sailing down the coast of Southeros because where are you going to land there where it's more safe than where you're going? But there's everyone else. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got it. Ready? Yep. Victorion did not like the sea, nor these endless cloudless skies, nor the blazing sun that beat down on their heads and baked the decks until the boards were hot enough to scorch bare feet. He did not like these storms, which seemed to have come up out of nowhere. The seas around Pike were often stormy, but there at least was 
but there, at least a man could smell them coming. These southern storms were as treacherous as women. Even the water was the wrong color, a shimmering turquoise close to shore, and farther out a blue so deep that it was almost black. <sighs> Victoria missed the gray-green waters of home and their white caps and surges. He did not like this Isle of Cedars either. The hunting might be good, but the forests were too green and still, full of twisted trees and queer bright flowers <sighs> like none his men had ever seen before. And there were horrors lurking amongst the broken palaces and shattered statues. Da, 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 da. It sounds like it, <laughs> an extremely beautiful tropical land. You but know? scary though. Once you got to the description of the island, that shit got scary for me. I understand. I mean, when that. you understand like the monkey situation, that does that is like a creepy vibe that adds to it. But I know, but the kind of twisted trees and the queerly co- colored flowers. I'm thinking about an unexplored region of a video game that you go to. Where you're like, oh, I know the guys here are going to be tough. I know they're going to be bad. And it's been 402 years since the Doom of Valyria. So what has happened in 402 years in, at a place where no humans have been dicking around? Like right. what, what kind of things have taken over again? Well, and then he has that dream where he wakes up with blood in his mouth. And so it only stresses the point more so. Wait, he the woke up with like, blood in his mouth, like in the dream, or he dreamt about waking up with blood in his mouth? It says, I'll read it. The last time Victorian had spent a night ashore, his dreams had been dark and disturbing. Oh, yeah. And when he woke, his mouth was full of blood. And yeah. the maester was like, you just bit your tongue. And he's and like, he, no, 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 no. He's like, I'm never going to sleep on the land again. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> it just like adds to the mystery of the place. But yeah. I think that that's such a good backdrop to oh, so good. just where they're at because – you know, we see him later in the chapter thinking about how he doesn't want to show his um, wound to his men because they're already in this strange foreign place. Dealing with this wound is so bad that the smell has made it to where we need to take this outside. That's really, really bad. Said, they said that it lingered for him, the dusky woman, after oh, the whole thing yeah. was and over. That's like his he bedroom. takes the scummy water away, the maester does, and it's still bad. That's like his room, you know? I know, like, I know. It's like, that's tough. That's bad. Really, really bad. <laughs> but that's how much, that's how important it is to him that he tries to keep things, everyone placated because they're in this strange land. They're on this, what could be deemed as a suicide mission, as us as a reader from the outside, seeing all these different things converging. And so, so Victorion is trying his very best to kind of keep everything under his thumb and you know, whether or not he's able to do that is going to be another question for us down the road. But I just love this background of, like you said, these twisted trees and strange colored flowers and these waters that are so foreign to him. It just seemed like to me the perfect the perfect time for if anyone among the Iron Islands were like, okay, I'm kind of done with this, that they could have just abandoned ship, not literally, but just left the fleet because they were already split up. Right. Do you, what do you, I mean, I know that there's description about, the, he goes into reasons why, because at first I thought this might have been something that he shuffled off the responsibility for. Maybe he didn't want to deal with it. And that became, it was sort of like a, a fear that the sort of disorganized, aggressive mind of his might, might just lose the details of sailing so far with such a big fleet and he mm-hmm. hadn't done it before so far from home that maybe he just sort of irresponsibly didn't want to deal with that weight of it and then split up the fleet and then now is dealing with the repercussions of that. But then it kind of describes his inner monologue talks about 
the different reasons why the negative reasons why selling with a, a fleet that large across such a big span of ocean and then a couple seas or a couple continents get close to each other would be a bad idea. What do you think? Well, as a seasoned sailor, mm. I can give you my, as somebody who's watched Pirates of the Caribbean 7,000 times, let me tell you. <laughs> That's about all the modern training that we have. There's also Treasure Island. There's Muppet Treasure it's Island. Modern tr- oh, Muppet Treasure Cutthroat Island. Don't Island. get me started. I don't know. What do I know? I do think that, I do think that it's an interesting way to go about it. And I feel like, you know, somebody like Victorion. Like I was saying at the beginning, I don't think he feels like he doesn't make decisions for himself. And so to him, it's like, oh, it's not that I made a poor choice in splitting the fleet up, which I don't think is necessarily a poor choice. His arguments uh-huh. seem pretty sound. But he's like, oh, well, then, you know. But look what's happening. The drowned god is cursing me for some mm, reason. Yes. This has nothing to do with right. my own. And that's kind of his like his energy that he brings to this chapter that uh-huh. or to his life that's so interesting is he's not – it's not – a my decision has X, Y, Z repercussions necessarily. It's I'm getting cursed or punished or given a gift because I am so devout kind of thing. The thing is, I I thought that about him until this chapter. And I feel like, really? there, I feel like there, there was a point where he sort of acknowledges in a way that What's the word whenever it like something that you say makes the other stuff that you said not true? I have a concussion. <laughs> <laughs> um, he it, it it cancels out. I, I thought in a way a lot of the stuff he was saying about what you were saying the uh, about his decisions being sort of controlled and or his feelings about what has happened being either killed or made worse by the cruelty of the gods. Whenever he was talking about the how like a just man can never sit the sea stone chair, but at the at the king's moon, all of the men shouted and whooped for Euron, not Victarion, and they chose him, not me. And I felt like he f- he sort of acknowledged a hypocrisy in this bulletproof feeling or bulletproof theory that the drowned god was a real person that his brother had actually seen the watery halls of and that they all sort of like build their lives on. If you think about it, he's a really, really, really serious guy when he's on the deck and the monkeys are laughing and throwing shit because everyone's laughing and having a good time. And the vibe is really high. He was actually doing pretty well up until that point. He was reflecting. He went down and had a good conversation with the dusky woman. I know that Maester Kerwin's hand ceremony, not ceremony that that happens later. His, it kind of felt that way. His uh, him cleaning the, the wound on his hand was really painful, but I felt like he pivoted out of that moment feeling kind of satisfied. But whenever everyone started to have a good time, even just a slight good time when they were uh, making fun of Makaro after he made the comment about him looking like a pink priest, just the smallest little comment that he said, like mm-hmm. a joke that he put out, everyone's having a good time laughing. Like I said, the monkey's throwing handfuls of shit on the, I guess it was just one, maybe a, a too many would have been like. I like the idea of it just like. Just one. I like the idea of many just like oh, many? raining down. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I think that's funnier. <laughs> to me, I like the idea that one monkey just got the vibe a little bit more and decided that I'm going to add to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I went a little overboard. But he's, he he felt a feeling inside of him and it, it changed. Like his mood changed. Where some people feel like a, a quick moment of pity for other people un- unexpectedly. He 
unexpectedly felt all of a sudden sudden this darkness and then he reflects on reasons why his like laughter triggers him but still he's that serious of a person he's kind of like this bent over scary looking dude with the hardest face with the shrewdness most shrewdness of expressions that takes no pleasure in these hilarious monkeys that everyone else is enjoying he takes much more pleasure in pain and in not showing emotion and in being very stalwartly just like you know i'm out here yeah he loves being out here he's just like this fearless kind of guy so it's like he gets satisfaction in knowing that the world is bad because things have gone badly and that this is part of the drowned god's plan right it's interesting i like getting this i I like getting this perspective of him in contrast to his brothers and i love that we get his point of view because i think that it you know we look at like a character like euron or we look at damp hair all this kind of like they have these very fanatical it's like very fanatical energy about them and they all kind of channel it in different ways and victorian you would argue is like he's not euron and he's not basically a like a prophet and so he's kind of hasn't really found his lane he's just like trying his best to like make a name for himself and it kind of reminded me a little bit of stannis in like a small way of like this other brother who hasn't really his whole life has been kind of overshadowed by the rest of his siblings and now he's finally starting to take action into his own hands like trying to be bold in his own right despite what's happening with his family and like whether that's a good or bad thing. And so, and I guess they both are like fanatical in their own right. And then Victorian, this also reminds me of something else you were saying earlier, which I'm losing my train of thought. Anyway, I, th- I see s- parallels between the two of them as like both of them just trying to be out here while being overshadowed by people who have either stronger claims to whatever they're looking for or just like, stronger vibes i wonder if stannis could be if you could kind of think of him in the way that you were talking about vic sort of having life happen to him and then deciding to react based off of that does stannis have too many large decisions on his plate i don't know for I that would, to work i would look at victorian as like much harder like if you the two of them were to fight each other i think stannis would absolutely lose and i do think mm. the stakes for stannis are like a little bit lower because he's like a little bit well, I was going to say he's a little bit less intense, which I don't necessarily know if that's the case. He's a pretty intense kind of guy. But it seems to him like – it seems to me like Stannis's journey to get to where he is is a little bit less volatile just because he doesn't come from quite as volatile of a background as somebody like Victorian. He's not a great joy. And so his life is like a little bit more stable, I feel like. But he, he was able to make that decision to kill his brother with dark magic. That's – Exactly. That's true. Do you think that Euron's really scared of Victorian, like they were saying, or they were just saying that to him? I think Ralph no. the Limper was like, he fears you. No, he does not fear him. I, My favorite thing about this chapter is <laughs> Vic's like, I suspected that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just love his internal mod. Like, every single thing comes back to his brother. Every single, I mean, you see it, like every paragraph, something happens and he thinks about his brother. He thinks about when he's with the... I mean, I could list them all off, but um, Victor Euron is such an overshadow of everything that's happening. And I, Euron feels like he's getting the leg up 
He's like, you're on, or Victorian feels like he's getting a leg up. He's like, you're on such an idiot. He's setting me. Let him sit and stew. Yeah. No ravens for you. (laughs) He's like, I'm not going to text him back. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to send him updates. I'm going to go to Marine and steal his bride. And he's such an idiot for thinking that I would just do his bidding. When in reality, and this is a question that I have for you too, when in reality, Euron is absolutely still pulling the strings, I think. I don't think that Euron is stupid enough to kind of send his brother out on such a major mission and assume that it's going to succeed and that he's going to come back with his beautiful bride and not do anything about it. And so, so do you think he was just clearing the table? Like trying to get him out of the way for all the stuff that he plans to do? Damn. He took so many ships with him. You think those ships just turned around and went back? Like they knew they were going to? (laughs) I don't know. Or he can get ships somewhere else. Sure. But But, all those men too. Does he just not need them? He's like, you know what? But are those men... Who are I mean, those that was men the Iron Fleet. Uh, I don't know. They're loyal to the Sea Stone Chair. Yeah, which I think is so cool. But I mean, I I mean, in my mind, the way I read it, you look at somebody like the Dusky Woman is absolutely not just some mute that is not ever going to betray Victorian in whatever okay. way, or like this mission is not something that even feels believable. You know, especially looking at what they're they're rolling into. To me, it just seems like a setup to kind of get him out of the way. Interesting. But you know, I don't know if you think differently. But that's I just think, kind of no. I think I would have fallen for it too. I thought he was just you know dividing up his. He's now in charge, and he was making a big decision. And I, I guess I sl- I didn't buy into it, but he was trying to make Vic feel like this was an important task. Like I'm for putting sure. you in charge and being the person to do this. I didn't fall for it. And I was suspicious too, but I'm not sure if he if he was a f- complete fool's errand, you know? I mean, and a sip some Diet Coke. It's actually um grape crystal light. Thanks for Right on. <laughs> but <laughs> um I just don't see how if Euron is really why would he send Victorian to go pick up Daenerys for him? That just seems like such a ridiculous thing to do yeah i guess there's no guarantee that he's not going to defect as well which is i'm sure he could have guessed that plan it's such a long and far journey and i think that there are shorter ways to kind of get what he wants um than that but i mean i could be absolutely wrong like maybe and and i think that danny we or just maybe i could be wrong in thinking that like euron maybe does trust victoria in some way and like things I don't or maybe he's like so bold as to think that there's no way Vic could outsmart him or make a better yeah. plan or... yeah but I just you know I don't know I don't necessarily see it that way but maybe he does see it that way maybe I mean I think that to me Victorian is also just like going into such a wild situation it's going to be so fascinating to kind of see how him his arrival in Marine and that whole battle how that plays out and so maybe it does work out in their favor and you know, Victorian sails away with Daenerys and they head to the, to Westeros and all those kinds of things. But, um, regardless, every move and step that Victorian is making is like trying to go against Euron is like in some way trying to escape him, even though he's the voice inside of his head. And so I'm just so curious how it's going to go for him. How amazing was that? The ending when he steps onto the deck naked from the waist up, with his mm-hmm. arm smoking and he points at, at Kerwin. He's like, that guy. <laughs> Get him out of here. Sacrifice him and we'll have safe passage to Marine. Let me find the actual quote. 
As his crew gathered, whispering and trading glances, he raised the charred and blackened hand. Whips of, wisps of dark smoke rose from his fingers as he pointed at the maester. That one, cut his throat and throw him in the sea, and the winds will favor us all the way to Marine. I basically said the same thing. It's very exciting. So do you think that when he gets to Marine, and I'm thinking about, I'm just thinking about him, but let's talk about the whole idea of what they're doing, not just him. Do you think that he's going to kick ass? Do you think they are going to kick ass? Or they're going to flounder and it's going to be like a sort of like a typical embarrassing sort of blockheaded thing where not not unlike Quentin's situation, but poetically beautiful in a different way. Like, is this where George takes out part of the Greyjoy storyline while giving us a big lesson? Or is this new interaction with Makoro and the Red God going to lead to some unexpected shit for people like you're on to have to deal with later down the line. Oh, I'm so excited just talking yeah, about that. That's a really good question. That's a really good question. I have a couple like a couple different thoughts on that. The first is Makoro seems to be somebody who knows what he's talking about. And so whether he's like quote unquote on Victorion's side or he's just trying to use him to get to Daenerys, he is extremely powerful and so I do think that there will be some success as they arrive in Marine, what, whatever success might look like. But I, I do think that – I don't think that he's going to show up with his fleet and just like roll over and flounder. I do think that regardless of the outcome, there's going to be some sort of fight. And then you put the dragon horn, dragon binder thing. You throw that into the mix and how that's going to play out Yeah, and what's going to happen there. We'll talk a lot more about that in the next chapter with Victorion, but I do think that we're going to get a pretty, I mean, he's Victorion. I mean, he hasn't like, we haven't necessarily seen him in a lot of action. Yeah. I mean, so he kind of talks a big game, but I just, I can see him showing a lot of great force. He's got, like I said, Mercaro's on his side. He's got a pretty good amount of ships and especially if he can make it there before all these other guys, um, I wouldn't count him out necessarily. Selmy's on the field too. Hello. Yeah, he is. Listen, what if, what if Vic blows the horn and he can blow it because of this new shit that's gone, that's gone on between him and Makoro and be safe? What I mean, so, but then that leads itself to some other questions as we don't necessarily know what the horn does. So he right. blows it. right. The dragons are in some way you can bind them so that they can be ridden. It just or doesn't that they seem can do likely. We haven't gotten to this part, this point of magic yet, where I can blow a magical horn. Let's say this this horn really did char the lungs of who blew it. You know, in those those old mm-hmm. Greyjoy chapters. Let's say it happened. Yeah. And let's okay. It's a magical horn. Okay. All right. I, I'm gonna. I'm buying it. It's a magical horn. Now, do we have to point it at a dragon? <laughs> <laughs> does it? Does it? In the, does it like uh, hypnotize and enslave the nearest dragon, the least Or does it powerful? make him go wild? Does it make him go wild? Yeah. Like a dog whistle, basically. It just pisses right. him off. Right. I right. don't know. I feel like you can't go through all that and blow all that and it'd be so dangerous for the trade from the universe to be just something to annoy them. I feel like it's... What do you, do you think I, it's actually magical? I feel like we've talked about this before, but I forget where you, where you stand on that. I think that even if it just does annoy them, you look at that specific situation that they're going into, that battle is going to be pretty wild. And so that could be, sorry to interrupt, that could be a great way to scatter dragons if you're fighting dragons. mm -hmm. Let's say you're, you're, 
they needed to, I forget where they found it. Let's, I think Euron said he found it far east. I forget the exact mm -hmm. place, but what if that was like an ancient way for them to defend themselves from people from Valyria, people with dragons, essentially, where you could like uh, scatter yeah. the plan and maybe ho hopefully throw a dragon rider off their off the back of their dragon, or like give you time to shoot them down with the bolt scorpion. Blah, blah, maybe, blah. yeah, with a huge, <laughs> with a giant <laughs> one, huge yeah, exactly. But you're gonna <laughs> be great for that, obviously. Crack shot right. one for one, right. But no, that's, um, that's a really that's neat so idea. I haven't thought about that. So if that's the case, they're basically trading one person. But why Why does it have to, if they designed it, like why and it wasn't magical, why would it have to be something that kills a person? Like maybe you do well, maybe, have to kill someone. Like maybe this is something that red, I don't even know, I was going to say red priest, red magicians, red wizards made. Because it's of the same sort of ilk. Has to do with fire, it trades life. I don't know. It just seems like a, a shitty design flaw that you have to sacrifice well, one of your people. Maybe it's like Euron is n knows that it's not real and then it could kill him and he's trying to kill him. Okay. And he blows it and then he's gone. He's like out the picture, you know? But there's, yeah, but there's no guarantee that Vic would be the one to blow it. The reason I thought that. Sure, but like, come on. I, you know. I get you. you can, he's like, if anyone's going to. I think he found out that it killed someone, though. I don't know. He's pretty good at like in this chapter. He, he. I forget who he who he gave the response. I think Wolf One Ear went and no, it was Ralph the Limper because he took like the the second biggest group of ships uh, to sell off their uh, the people that they picked up in the Stepstones as slaves. So he's like down for not taking responsibility for stuff that he sees potential discomfort or danger in. Hundred percent. Not that I needed that example to quote it, but so this. Leads into another question that I want to ask you. It's all tied together. Okay. But we have to kind of talk about... So at the end of the chapter, we get this scenario where Makoro comes on board, yada, yada. One of the most epic scenes in the series, I just have to say. Like, the fact that that yes. wasn't in the TV show, is a it, it breaks my heart because it's so well, goddamn I, cool. Victorian himself should have been in the TV show. Of course, but, but this was just other. so great. <laughs> He's so huge. Makoro's so huge I and know. so different than them. And they're all just a like circling him. These guys from the Iron Islands. Just amazing. Such a good yeah. scene. And the monkeys overhead reacting to all of it, like both the good and the bad energy. So perfect. It was really good. And we can talk about it a little bit more in detail, but because then he also predicts his death and this whole kind of thing. But then he ends up healing him, apparently. And he takes him into the his room. He does some sort of magic that we don't see. We get this narrative jump from so we're like not in the point of view of Victorian anymore. We get like an outsider's perspective, which is apparently something that hasn't happened very often. And yeah, so, that was like, like a Reddit post that Jeff made like years ago, right? There's there's a, there's a theory out there that I wanted to get your opinion on, which yeah. may tie into the dragon binding thing. But there's mm -hmm. this theory here that Victorian dies because of the way that the POV jumps. That George R. R. Martin is trying to like cover up what happens inside the room and. Victorian actually dies here and he's reborn in some way. When So when he comes back out onto the deck with his shirt off, he's a new man. He's like a different person than he was before. Right. And so then that could either allow him to like blow the horn without it causing damage or now he's like- That's part of the theory? Guy. Well, I don't know. That's my addition to the theory. Uh, <laughs> Wait, that was my addition. <laughs> that's what I was trying to say. That's why I was like bringing it up, like that piece of it, because you right. were saying that. It can be so your now addition. I'm tying it all together. It was. I only um, thought of it because something you said. I didn't even think about the horn. 
Anyway, so that's <laughs> another piece like into the whole karma. Your theories are my theories on this podcast. <laughs> we share everything. Um, anyway, that's like another piece to this conversation, which I think is really interesting. So I was curious what you thought about that. If I think that 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 narrative jump was indicative of some greater mystery. Yeah, and if you think that that's going to play into something further down the road. When I saw that note in the doc, um, that was the first I had, I had heard about that. And then um, I saw that Reddit post about just the the change of the – or the idea of the narrative jump. And it's something that I completely missed on – like each time I read through it. It's really small. It's like yeah, a really small moment. A really fine detail. So like going through it with that with that level of, of, of a microscope is neat because it – it really exposes the meaning. And if you try to think about the person writing it, you're like, okay, mechanically, what is this person trying to do with their art form? Like, what is this flourish of Da Vinci's paintbrush actually? What does he have to do to make it? But also, what was the meaning behind that particular flourish? And again, I, I haven't caught it when I read through it. But to me, just my overall impression from reading it without hearing about um, uh, uh, theories or without hearing about the fact that the narrative jumped at all, just my impression when I read it based solely on the length of time it said he was in there all day trying to heal it. And also what Makoro said, mm-hmm. he said, let me find it. Your death is with us now, my Lord, give me your hand. I f- to me, it felt like, okay, the decision's already been made then like this, this has to be, what he does and of course i thought about thoros of mir and i yeah. thought and I, and I thought about what happened with danny and the eggs right and miri and the the wailing the singing the screaming and most importantly for me was the laughter the laughter that and i was just like all right if there's creepy. M- maniacal laughter like sure victorian's the kind of guy that takes pleasure in things being as bad as he always thought they were going to be but this is sort of indicative to just another scene, like not me being mysterious and thinking about what might happen theoretically here, but no, literally just thinking about the other scene that Miri had in that tent. And they're like, all right, don't go in there, anyone. And of course, this again was another private thing that we didn't get to look into. I was just like, all right. He didn't just heal his hand. He didn't just fuse some kind of a stump onto his hand. That's not what happened. Of course, it might be what happened. He might have just limited it to that. But I don't think that Makoro being in a situation with the leader of the of these people that picked him up that are threatening to cut his head off and smash his brain open like a melon or head open like a melon and feed his brains to the monkeys would take this opportunity and just heal the guy without having some semblance of like a greater control over his life form moving forward. If he had the opportunity to, I don't know enough about how the, the branch of magic that these red priests use operates within the human mind. I know that when Barrick has been brought back, he seems like he's sort of the same guy, or at least as much Mm -hmm. as I know about him, no one really talks about him being different in a way that raises concerns. It just seems like it's like a, like a normal thing that he talks, he talks about there being, cost he doesn't really go into it it's sort of vague but we get we get the general idea but also that's his bro that's doing it to him i don't think it's like a different experience totally different experience and i'm sure we know that there's weirdness going on with miri where it's like what actually did have to happen with drogo you know like what really did happen and it seems like the purpose of the person and the way that obviously you treat them beforehand which goes into the reasons why they make decisions that are behind their purpose in the first place matters a lot in situations like this so i I, like i said i didn't notice the narrative shift 
but I noticed that it was weird. It was weird enough that this couldn't be limited to this. And I thought for the boldness of Vic to come out shirtless with his hands smoking, like not hiding (laughs) anything now after this point was so badass that I nearly shat myself. (laughs) (laughs) I I do think that all of that that you're saying is a much more interesting argument for why this might be weird than just, you know, a simple narrative shift. Like to me, I think that, sorry, I think that, just to clarify, I think that that explains, or that's what George has to do, in like in a way, because you have to you have to like make sense out of what you're writing. The argument is that the last, the really only other time that this has happened is is when Miri was doing which what happened in book one, and so okay. it's like cool. Those are the only two times that it's actually happened. So that's like a decently strong argument where it's like, well, he can't show what's going on. I also think that like. You know, I don't know. He's a writer and like has to do things to get around to further the narrative along. He can't always like stay within his own perfect construct. But I do think that what you're saying is pretty interesting. I do also think that though, like his hand is pretty badly damaged. Like he was poisoned. It's pretty messed up. You're talking about like the smell. Like, and also I think that him simply bringing him back to life is enough to bond bind them together. I mean, you look at how much. Victorian wakes up that morning just like one hundo P for the drowned god, one thousand percent. And then he goes to bed that night after meeting Mora whatever his <laughs> name is. Um <laughs> and he's like, now he has two gods. He's like, Wow, I'm also put on for the red god one hundred percent. And it's like, okay, well, pick a lane. I could quote like I mean he know, picked whatever. One. He picked the one with the results. His hand exactly. is better. It doesn't hurt anymore. The monkeys. He's like, I like those monkeys. Exactly. What so now the, he's like. Never mind. That, that doesn't. I was going to say, what if he has monkeys like hanging out with him in the next chapter? Anyway. Maybe. But he, so he's putting on for the red god now because yeah. that, but that's what I'm saying is because he's starting to see results. So I don't necessarily know if um, Makoro needs to do anything deeper than just healing him to get him to be his guy because Victorian is a very. He loves religion and he loves something else controlling the narrative. And so I don't, I think that he's, he doesn't need like to be coerced or um, magically bound to do Morocco's, Makoro's will because he's going to do it. He's already doing it and he's known him for like 15 minutes. And so um, he's bound to him already, but I don't know. That's a good point. There's a, uh, it's the an beginning of the chapter. The series Illyrio says that, they don't need to give the Dothraki this nine-story house to keep them happy. They could actually just, with the the power of the Red God, they could fight a million Dothraki and keep them out of Pentos. But it's better to do it uh, as a friend, better to do it friendly-wise, because it's so much easier than actually like using their power against them. So maybe like, your point is something that they follow. It seems to be how Melisandre leads by just being really, mm-hmm. really helpful instead of instead of deceiving. Rather than yeah, really helpful to Stannis, she's like out there seducing him twenty four seven. That's what she thinks. Like, yes, that's what she thinks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so interesting yeah. strategy. I think either way, the argument is that Victorion is under control of some other thing, and so he's not necessarily the master of his own destiny, and so he can very easily be used in some way, shape, or form, regardless of if it's um, by magic or just by his own sheer, like, desire to be part of something, which is so (laughs) deeply relatable. (laughs) Do you think that if he's being controlled or if he now has allegiance that it's to the, air quotes, good guys or air quotes, bad guys? 
Like let's let's say it's, they are leading with this sort of uh, catch them better with honey angle. Mm-hmm. Is it because they're inherently good and this is a great strategy, or do they have bad plans that we don't know about yet? Like what's what are they really like up a, to? A complicated question in the Song of Ice and Fire in general, because like who is the good guy and who is the bad guy? I think that Victorian is just being used by Makaro to get to Marine and for him to right. fill out his like him to um lead out his, the rest of his plans. Like I don't necessarily see him uh interested in Makoro, in Victorian specifically. So I, yeah, I wonder if Makoro cuz he seems to really really have his presence about him. I wonder if he'll reunite with Tyrion and or mm-hmm. meet up with Danny and sort of like supersede his relationship with Vic. Angrily, and Vic being like, a "No way! This percent. is my wizard. Your yeah, has a wizard. Yeah. I need a wizard." Oh God! I mean, the fact you that he's alive at all is like pretty much a miracle. And so it's like from the moment that we learn about him, he's just feels like he's overshadowing kind of everything that's happening with the Iron Fleet right now. But um, I think that that I I love that idea that it's like Victorian finally gets yeah. to treat with Danny, and then it's like this whole thing right. with Morcoro instead. Because she's warming up to that faith, or at least will be at some point. I mean, you almost look. We she's we talk one. about like we talk about the red god and all of that, and like how that religion might be it. But like you look at the results that are Makoro, even more so than Melisandre, yeah. is getting. Like he's making some really great calls and so dude i don't know it's making some strong arguments mel made a shadow baby that went into the renley's camp and took out their leader handily no one had to fight sure. at all sure it was and just so weird she's just like falters a little bit because i think she just doesn't have the same kind like makoro puts on for himself like he seems like he's very um much more self-assured about his whole thing whereas melisandre i think is struggles a little bit more internally with like what she's doing and who she is and if the red god is even listening to her but and makoro seems just much stronger in his ability and so i don't know we'll see i think it's so funny this is relates to nothing but when they call him what do they say about like his pink cloak or whatever which i think the is pink hilarious. priest the pink priest i think that's really hilarious <laughs> what a response after eyeing him down and like thinking yeah and just i told you he's a really serious guy but like he's 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 like a little intrigued and he looks at him he's just like a pink priest <laughs> yeah i think that's really funny <laughs> and then uh his first he's like a demon priest like he takes that opportunity to talk shit he was brimming he's like okay it's my turn and now look at him bros victorian graduate mistrusted laughter sucks for him <laughs> i mean that's pretty dark but that I would die, Victorian snorted. Cut his throat, throw him in the sea, he was about to say, until a throb of pain. It's just like the simulation is strong with this one. Until a throb of pain in his bad hand went stabbing up his arm almost to the, to the elbow. The agony so intense that his words turned into bile in his throat, he stumbled and seized the rail to keep from following. Monkey shit rained down around them all. Splat, <laughs> splat, splat. No one moved until Victorian seized the sorcerer by the arm and pulled him into the hatchway. Jeez. I love it. He and had to pull him himself. They're all thinking that they've cursed, their captain's been cursed by this stranger who's come up aboard. And then he comes out the other side having been healed. What a stressful situation to just be like one of his guys. I know. But 
What a more stressful. The poor maester on that ship. Dude. I feel horrible. Do you want to talk about that? For him. I mean, I we have to talk about yeah, it a little but bit. But I, like, you want to talk about that right now. So it's, I feel like it's going to take up a chunk of my time and my life. <laughs> if you're not ready to go into no, I'm it. Ready. But like We're talking about Victarion being healed. It's like, and this is the second time we've seen that happen in this chapter or seen the attempt happen in this chapter. And we get a little bit more information on this poor maester who's like... Can you imagine? It's like you go to school and you become a maester and you're so excited you and then you get the signed. And it's just like, okay, you know, the light it's, like slowly drains from your eyes. That's a risk. As you're, yeah, as you're being treated the way that you're being treated. And he's just trying, like, he like kneels next to Victoria and he like smells the wound. He's like, we might have to cut it off. I yeah, don't know. He's don't gagging know. as he's trying to let the pus out. It's just like, it's such a sad situation after, you know. I mean, we see how he's being treated on this ship. It's It ain't great. I'm sure he was bummed out about getting sent to the Iron Islands, but I think that he ultimately, for a while, lucked out because he was he ended up getting a job with a relatively normal, high-born person who was kind of like the people, the same high-born people from the mainland who they hung out with his kids, like a lot like how the Star kids grew up. They He handled the Ravens. It doesn't seem like, like a nightmarish role it kind of is, I would be afraid of the roll of the dice. Maybe someone didn't like him and they sent him there, but I'm sure that they didn't anticipate that eventually your own Greyjoy would come back home, take over, find you, and then send you sure. on a death mission as, as Victorian's maester. Sure. Holy crap. I mean, no one plans for that kind of thing. I know. And then you're getting, you know, treated the way that you're being treated. 22 years old. And it's, uh, Vic said that, he did have like this sly smile as he's being brought on board, which I don't know. It sounds like he was brought on board screaming is what like, there was like two different descriptions of how that happened. It's like he saw it one way and then later remembered it was another way, which I found to be really confusing. It's like, are you out of your mind, man? Uh, I think the answer to that is yes. I was, I was wondering about that. I was like, <laughs> well, I would never, I would be so upset if if that's the the change of my fate, if that's how the cards were read, like, oh my gosh, no, 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 no. Luckily, you're not being sent off with Euron, but I feel like, I don't know. The, I don't know if this is much better. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the guys, the kind of guys that hang out with the Victorian, they they seem to just, like, it's like when, you, when he came and tattled about being raped in the bowels mm-hmm. of the ship by four guys, Vic just gives yeah. him a dagger. You know, you're right. not going to get any sympathy from these people. They're all cut from the same cloth, you know? What a crazy situation. And what a crazy, just like, that's what I was kind of saying is that I really like seeing the perspective of the Iron Island folk from Victorion's point of view, because it really does shed light of how much darkness goes on physically and um, not physically, but it's the word anyway. Mentally? um, Yeah. Sure. You mean like emotionally, well, metaphysically? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like emotional yeah. torture? <laughs> right. No, I was, so what I was trying to say is like it's literally dark because it's always raining and there's clouds there. <laughs> and also there's all this like oh, darkness, so you mean the weather darkness too. No, I meant both. I wanted to say both things. Right. There's <laughs> so. a lot of different points to connect there. I know, truly. Anyway. Truly. Poor guy, though. So, whatever. Pink-cheeked. I mean, I can understand why these guys would go after him, but it has to be and a different way. like... And Victorion's deeply hurt, and so he's just trying. I mean, there's only so much he can do, obviously, in order to heal him. Well, supposedly heal him, it's going to take something like magic. But um, 
I really like the descriptions of when Victarion's contemplating on his wound and talking about how he is, it's, it's like I killed him, but he stabbed me from beyond the grave. Oh God, yes. As he's describing what it feels like when his when his hand throbs and things like that after he's being treated um, by the maester. I thought that was such a really great way to describe what's happening to him. And so now he thinks it's poison. Oh, here's a question, I guess, is that so Victarion thinks to himself and wonders if he if his maester is poisoning him since it was a gift from Euron or if it really was this other knight that had poisoned him in battle. Yeah, Talbert Seri, at the moment when that happened, I, I knew that this would be something that I would think about for a long time. The description of Vic's memory from his point of view now kind of cements that being like the, the juxtaposed version for me, like the more calm he's able to think about it versus the, the time in battle. And then it births that quote that you brought up. I just want to read it. I killed him, but he stabs at me from beyond the grave. From the hot heart of whatever hell I sent him to, he thrusts his steel into my hand and twists. It's like a, for me, it became a, like a physical manifestation of a mistake in this weird world mm. where a guy as intense as Vic, who has as many people at his command and many lives, as many souls around him. If the gods are playing games with all of their souls, like this is the version of the mistake that he's made in his life. One where his shield was split and he decided to catch a sword with his arrogance and it, and it bit through his claw. I or, can't believe he caught it with his hand. I know. It bit through his lobstered claw, his armor just enough to, you know, sink into his meat and not kill him, but carry some kind of a a consequence later on down the road that he thought that he could handle simply with the same disinfectant, boiling vinegar and cleaning the wound as usual that he's been used to for his whole life. But this one has stuck and now stunk in a very specific way. And I didn't think of poison. I just thought of maybe it being the wound mishandled, but I know that we've, we've talked with them before and, and, and I've known that that is not the case. So right. I didn't think about until this point in the chapter, whether or not it could be a plan from year on, like a sort of long distance plan to add to the, uh, like you said, the, 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 the mission where he was not supposed to return in the first place. And, uh, I think that's really grim if that's the case. It seems mm -hmm. like after you've been mistreated in such a severe way by these guys, where they basically become your gods now, like you're you're trapped on their boat and there's no way for you to get around what's happening, that it would be difficult to continue to listen to Euron's demands at the, or commands at this point in the story, unless Euron has some kind of a unknown psychological connection with Kerwin that he's communicating with him through to continue to threaten him. I don't think that there's any way that he could continue to listen to him after he's being, like I said, so wholeheartedly mistreated by these people that I just don't think he mm -hmm. would risk it. Because it's not only your life at this point. These guys are torturing him in the worst way, and he probably right. knows that it's not the end. So why would mm -hmm. you continue to put yourself in a shitty situation with the guys who's who's in charge? Right. You would like try to do your best. It kind of, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Cersei thinking that everything wrong is Tyrion's fault. And I think that Cersei oh, yeah. is a little bit in a little bit more of a deranged state about that whole thing and mm -hmm. the truth behind that is pretty minimal. Um 
but it's like anything that either goes potentially wrong or that is thinking about is a blame on Euron or a drowned blame on the drowned god or a gift from the drowned god. And so this could just be a situation where um, Victorion's first thought is, well, it was probably Euron because, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But what I do you think? You make a good point. Well, I mean, I think that it's interesting. I mean, they just, they're, they talk so much about poison just being such a cop out something that you don't use in a gentleman's battle you know and that it's not something yeah unless you're from dorn or you're a woman as they say um that poison just is such an unacceptable way cheater's way to go basically and so i don't know enough about this sari guy to really know i think it's probably likely that i think i think what you the argument that you make is true i think it's unlikely that it's either euron's bidding or that it's this Mesa that's continuing to perpetuate that. I think that Euron is doing enough damage. He doesn't need to also be doing this. And so I think there's other things we can argue Euron is doing to manipulate the situation. Mm-hmm. And this probably isn't one of them. Yeah. I, I do think it's important to figure out what the source of this being such a miserable problem later on is, though. Because I feel like that mistake or the heart of that mistake is uh, at the heart of the issues that or it might be the key issue. We'll, we'll see that Victorian struggling, struggling with to become like a better person or a more full version of himself or whatever the hell that this is being led to, because it's so persistent right. and it's causing so much, so many problems and it's led for him to, or it's led him to this position with Makoro. But I feel like honestly, the shit that's going down with the red priest here is a good thing for him because it's not like, it seems like he's alive. Let's, let's, I don't know if it, he had to take his life and bring him back to life or if he had to, I don't know, like just get really messed up in surgery to have this thing grow off of him. But either way, unless he's completely, uh, completely being puppeted now by some force, like if he's got the imperious curse on him, you know, and he's, mm-hmm. and there's no way to take it off. If, unless that's happening, I feel like this is, totally good for him because he's ruthless it makes him look more badass and that's literally all he cares about in this world is being badass because that's all there is like you said he hasn't figured out his thing yet so his personality is just about not letting his brother get to him and like look at this like not even Euron has this he has the eye and he drinks a lot of nightshade but look at this (laughs) you know I feel like it's just a good thing no matter what it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out for Victorian because I think that it could very easily go two different ways. Like I think he could continue to be a player in the game and, you know, be mildly successful when he arrives in Marine. And like we were talking about before, I think he could very easily just be taken out pretty quickly. And that this was just another kind of stepping stone for somebody like Makoro to get to Daenerys or just another world building type of situation where we learn more about the Iron Islands and the Greyjoy family. And we learn more about Victorion from, or Euron from Victorion's point of view kind of thing. I'm not really sure. It's like we were saying, it's like, is this like a Quentin type of situation where he just gets cut way too short in his um, journey to get to Daenerys like so many other people have. So um, that will be, these will be interesting chapters to read back on after we get a little bit more of that story or we finish the story. We have kind of that broader understanding of what Victorion's purpose actually is. And I don't know what you're, I am more inclined to believe that he's just, and I think this is kind of what we've been talking about this chapter is that he's going to get so far in this situation and then, but he's not the main character. Like he's not the main guy. And so he's going to be cut down in some 
way before he can really make a big impact. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong with that. It, when you say cut down, do you mean more so than he already has? Like another thing that's going to cut him down to size? And will that involve no, his I think death? He'll, like he'll, or at least he'll, yeah, he'll die. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think he'll die. Like cut down, I mean, is just like his plans getting cut short or his, right. um, yeah, I think he'll die. If that happens, probably. I think he'll be savagely satisfied as it approaches him. That the death. Oh, and it's going to be unbelievably cool. It, yeah. You know, I don't think he's going to die in like a meek or quiet. I hope not at least, but. I feel like, George, if you're listening and you haven't written this yet, two paths right now. <laughs> you could diverge. I don't know what influences two in the, roads diverge in the world is going to lead you to which situation or if you've already made up your mind but if you still, if you haven't made up your mind just imagine a, a a story where this character that we've kind of all written off because he's so seemingly useless in his actual mental capacity for some reason finds a kind of second wind at this point in his life and becomes annoyingly important to the things that are happening to the rest of the story i just think that would be so unbelievably chaotic and the kind of a move that we like this story about in the first place, like a kind of red viper that survives almost in a way. I think that would be so neat. I wanted to see how that how that would go. And maybe because it's so cool, this universe would never be able to house something as exciting as that. But I don't know. It could be cool. And it's at least something right now to think about. Right. What do you think I he think would regardless. do with Danny? Like how that would happen? It's, I don't know. It's such a good question. I mean... She would think his hand is cool. If he was able to hold his tongue enough, yeah. Wouldn't you? I don't know. Daenerys has seen so many things, you know? Like, I I don't know if somebody like Victarion necessarily could be impressive to her. But (laughs) Wow. I don't know. I mean, who's to say? I guess she is the most desirable. Oh, all of this stuff. He's like, I hope she's as beautiful as the as the rumors. She's probably some slattern with hanging teats. <laughs> yeah, pock which was really funny. My brother's lying to me about her beauty and everything. What so, a classic brother thing to do, though. You know, like that would be such up. a classic brother. Yeah, to be like, oh, go get this girl. You're gonna love her. Right. And you show up. That just seems like such a brotherly thing to do. So speaking of that, do you like? Do how do you think and do you believe Euron really did survive? traveling the depths of this world at least the known world with one ship i don't know he's you're on great <laughs> yeah but he, i feel like he just he drinks a lot of nightshade and maybe lies because he's able to appear or pretend to be more deep than the rest of them while being willing to do the shit that they won't do like that as a combination makes him seem more mysterious than he actually is or he is mysterious i don't know it's like not to bring back Pirates of the Caribbean, one of the greatest <laughs> movie franchises of our generation. Um, but it's like Jack Sparrow when he escapes one of those islands and like, how did you do it? Yeah, and he's exactly. how he escaped on the back of turtles or something. But in reality, it's because he it's because he had just been drinking and then some yeah. ship came and picked him up along the way. Right. It's probably he something burnt the like rum that. and they saw the smoke fire. Yeah, it's probably something like that. You're on my. I mean, I think that. I'm biased because uh, we talked so much about Euron being off-brand Johnny Depp in the TV show that, like, I kind of can't help but think of him that way a little bit. But I do see some, like, similarities in the sense of, like, he's a very feared and famous person, pirate, who, against all odds, has survived in many situations. And nobody really understands how that happens. And he just, like, happens to be the guy. And he doesn't necessarily understand why he's the guy either. And so... 
if you that's have a my whole ship of people that are mute and you bring back a bunch of gold and you act impressive at a place like Pike, there's probably not a lot of people there to question you. Right. Hmm. What do you think? Hmm, I don't know, honestly. I haven't seen enough of his loot. The the horn is pretty interesting, mm. but you know, I don't know if that's impressive enough. He could have found that anywhere. I, I don't have any evidence. And yet. it also might not be real. We don't know. Right. I need to know or about like his connection is. with Brendan Rivers, if there's actually some kind of a uh, a psychosphere that everyone's traveling through with their brains and if he's if he's accessing that or again if he's just drank so much nightshade that he has similar language to the rest of them wouldn't I, you say maybe those are the same thing yeah, i think <laughs> in a lot of ways it could be <laughs> which brings us to a whole bigger set of issues with the story thank god we have two books to go through maybe george will just he'll give us like a veil room you know we can touch just get close enough to like touch scratch against the mystery but of course no one really knows it well with no answers the mystery's a mirror everybody it's you (laughs) (laughs) so uh the dusky woman what do you think because i feel like you've been teasing about her being more of a more of a thing than we believe and i know other people talk about that what do you think yeah um yeah because i was saying earlier that if somebody's gonna be out for vic i don't think it's gonna be the maester. I think that the dusky woman is probably more likely to be somebody who's either betraying him now or betraying him later. Like Victorian is just so loose with her and is so honest with her. And, you know, maybe she's just like a narrative device in order to allow us to kind of get more of who Victorian is. But I kind of like this idea that she's either like gathering information or she's going to kill him somewhere along the way to like get rid of him for Euron. Like if oh. anybody's working for Euron, Whoa. I think that it's going to be her. Yeah. It, He's starting to I trust her in a big way now too. He, <laughs> it was funny. He's like describing her at, at the beginning, how he gets her and as a gift. And he's like, I'm going to cut her throat and throw her off the side of the ship. <laughs> it's like, and like Cobra well, I never in really that got around bar. to doing it. Yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, I never trust, really... Like, 13 times got around to it yeah yeah and now all of a sudden like that's his person on the ship so i don't know i think there's there's well she's more there but she's like a one-way therapist for him one that doesn't talk back at all nice wouldn't she just love well i don't know i'm much more of a listener than a talker but it's like having somebody it's a free therapist can't judge you it's just gonna sit there already knows what you need you show up she's already like dabbing your forehead (laughs) and you could just and just listening to all you got to say you know and she can't say a word it's a pretty good setup i guess i feel like that's supposed to be that's supposed to be a really positive thing for a guy like him the fact that she doesn't say anything because I guess she can't piss him off. She can't question him. There's no threat of her saying something that makes him feel insecure. Right. And so he's just or that he or that or she could say he can say anything he that's on his mind because he's not concerned about her going off and starting rumors. But who's like, she going to tell? That's something I wondered about. He mentions that a few times. I, th- I think that like anybody in a position of power. It's like how often in your own, in like my own small life, it's like, I wish I didn't say that to that person because right. now so-and-so knows it. And it's like, it has such small, con- like well, little Well, that's why there's COVID. No one knows anyone anymore. It's perfect. Right, exactly. <laughs> Which, okay, dark. But um, th- I think that, what was I saying? I think that um, somebody like Victorian, especially, who's like such a mysterious guy and he puts on this front that isn't necessarily what he believes. You know, he's, 
his narrative is so much more dark than he really lets on in an outwardly position. And so I think that if anybody got wind of how he truly felt or any of his fears or insecurities, I think this would be true for anybody well in said. a position of power. You yeah, know, but he's you don't want that out. Relies the world. so much on being the dude on the prow of the ship that doesn't laugh and that has no reaction. That's one of the reasons why his men follow him across the world like that. Exactly. Plus, it's not it's a lot of things to do the out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, man, I don't know. We'll see how she plays out, but he is too loose with her. He's for super it to just loose be with nothing. her. He's he's kicking his feet up, and she's right with yeah. it, and she's paying attention to his needs. So good for her. I'm glad that he has that, but at the same time, it's everything that they're doing is messed up. I feel like that's why a lot of people dislike him, and then it's like, why are you reading this book? Because well, he kills his wife. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, everything is bad. Everything that right. a lot of these points of view characters do, especially the Greyjoys, is super fucked up. And it's like, yeah, morally, mm-hmm. I'm not aligned with any of this, but it's a super interesting read. And these pirates are awesome. And visually, yeah. with the imagery in this chapter and the emotions that led from one section to the other and the way that George used his inner monologue to transition physically from the island seamlessly to the ship. And then later, like we have that, I guess, the narrative change that happened where the point of view of the narrator changes in such a big way. Like, so creative, the, the uses of this. And it must be super fun as an author to only have a few opportunities to write like this because it's not a whole book about pirates. So you can really concentrate all the stuff that you want. And Mm -hmm. I loved his use of the first mates on both grief and the iron victory. And I just think that it's cool. I think that he really got to flex. I think he did a good Mm -hmm. job. And I'm going to read all the ships that were mentioned in the chapter. Ready? (laughs) Grief, (laughs) the iron victory, noble lady, maiden's bane, raven feeder, iron kiss, headless Jane, Fear, Lord Kellen, White Widow, Lamentation, Woe, Leviathan, Iron Lady, Reaper's Wind, Warhammer, and lastly, Shark. Cool name. If you had a ship, what would you name it? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to get inspired by the way it looks, and then I feel like it would come mm. to me. You know? Mm-hmm. Bodies, yeah, bodies on the on the proud the ship. Yeah. So, do you think that the dusky woman is like a? He has like a sort of astral projection connection to her, some kind of a psychic connection where he's able to see through her eyes and eavesdrop on his brother. No, you're no, shaking your head. I don't. No, I know that there's some theory out there that she also might be Euron too. Whoa. What I think is kind of interesting. That's but- a theory. Yeah, I saw. I've seen somewhere. I don't know enough about it to like talk about it, but I have seen somewhere along the way in my Song of Ice and Fire journey that I I just like I don't think Euron is like so deeply involved in like the day to day of what Victorion's doing. I just think he sent him on a suicide mission, and if the horn thing doesn't work, then maybe the dusky woman could take him out. Okay, that's kind of what I. That's, that's like a really a high level overview. That's a really practical way to describe kind of the same thing that some people metaphysically theorize and it makes yeah. sense if she becomes really close to him which at this point she already has yeah what do you think i agree with you that makes a lot of sense because i just don't know how powerful he is it keeps coming back to that and i haven't seen any real uses of it even in the the forsaken like mm-hmm. we were inside of a vision and so it's really difficult to connect practical 
Like I had a dream last night where I was seeing some of my house plants. They were like 35, 40 feet tall on the side of the road. And then I got mm-hmm. attacked by wild pigs in a vehicle. Like it was crazy. Absolutely <laughs> crazy. I was driving down this road that I know from my from my childhood and it was really rocky and torn up and destroyed and i was just driving so fast down it without even caring about classic yeah without but without caring about any of the obstructions in the road and so i've survived all the obstructions and then the giant pigs came out so let's feel like i feel like if you're supposed to be thrown out of your vehicle then something's gonna happen no matter what did you read this chapter before you went to bed because there's giant pigs in this chapter no did but that inspire you that is an, an interesting connection no i just think about the giant pigs a lot because it's a lot mm. of good meat but also a really sad situation they're crazy they're scary too but anyway yeah they are yeah they're really scary and they're really powerful i've seen them in real life really yeah me too what'd you think that's a whole different thing i was terrified of them because i was like 14 and weighed oh, man. 23 pounds. And so it was Jesus. like, I could get run over by one of these in five seconds flat. Speaking of weird places, did you notice the mention of brindled men in South Eros? Sothorios? Uh, no. So brindled men are men with fur, basically. Like with a uh, different color of uh, fur. So we're okay. talking like animal people. Among all Whoa. the other creatures that were mentioned. And this is one of the passages that we have very few in the story that link back to information about that blasted land. Holy crap. And geographically- I feel like that's absolutely something that's like you would pick up on. Oh, yeah, of course. But I mean- It's like so your vibe. I was, and I was looking at the map so much today. Let's just take a moment to scroll east. Find a map of the known world of uh, Plantos, everyone. If you want to just like allow yourself to travel- through all the possibilities of where the story could go, obviously get a little bit nostalgic for the places that we are. Zoom into the Isle of Cedars while you're at it. Take a look at Velos. That's where we are. That's the place where in this chapter, that story during the the time of the Doom of Valyria that was described where the guy that was in that stone watchtower saw that 300-foot wave crash across the Isle of Cedars and destroy everything. That's where we are. Get nostalgic for it. Move on. Go all the way east. I'm afraid to touch my map because it keeps messing up my recording, so I'm going to try to cope this from memory. <laughs> the Five Forts, I think that's what it's called. Um, God, I want to scroll so bad. Oh, I can't. I can't. Okay. The Five Forts. Obviously, perennial favorite of mine, City of the Winged Men and the Hidden Sea. Cities of the Bloodless Men, the Dry Deep, etc. Think of the different ways that you can get there from the north through the Thousand Isles, from the south through a shy. If you're bold enough to cross that waterway, which I'm sure is patrolled and covered, don't go that way. Think about all the possibilities. Just take a look at the map. I'm just saying. That's why when this is so off topic and random, but we think about like what they decided to do for spinoff series for A Song of Ice and Fire for Game of Thrones, an Arya spinoff series where she's like exploring all of these wild lands to me is such would have been such an interesting move. I would have loved that. I don't know, but I feel like the world, the universe sometimes just can't be that kind. When you think of the kind of people that are in charge of making decisions, you're just like, do you make these, I mean, are you a person that makes artistic decisions all the time? Or are you somebody that's found your way to the head of an entertainment company that <laughs> makes decisions based on money and your bright <laughs> idea? 
I just, I just think, I just think it's weird. Like you said, there's so much opportunity, and yet we've not gone in that direction. Maybe we'll get it someday in the future. But to me, that's what. That's something I would have loved. There's so much stuff in Fire and Blood to adapt, though, so I get it. But look at the map. Yeah. What do you think, all in all? All in all, overall review, summary of this whole chapter of the song. Definitely a buy. I, what did you say? Definitely a buy, food reviewer. Oh, okay. Come on, man. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm not as much of a fan, of a fan as the food reviewer. I'm going to give it four anyway. outlost, four point five outlost stars. Okay, now you're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really like this chapter. We said this at the top of the at the beginning. I like Viterion as a character. I think reading him is very interesting. Um, I like the Greyjoys in general. I just really love their wild and out energy and how vastly different they are from so many other people in westeros i love this religious fanaticism i'm here for it 100 percent. i love getting this perspective heading into marine i love how descriptive this chapter was there was magic there was bloodshed there was um there was everything you can hope for yeah exactly so i really really liked this chapter a lot and I cut deeper. It's one of my favorite chapters. Get it that all. Done in a while. Show me the blood. I know. I'm like done. You're like, <laughs> let's talk more existential. Anyway, I just, I don't know. It's one of my favorite chapters that we've read in a while. So for sure, I enjoyed it. For sure, I enjoyed it too. I really liked it. It has all the markings of being like a, uh, like a one of those things that you talk about where you're kind of like, uh, when you're reading for plot. And, and charging through the book, but oh my gosh, is it full of, like I said, just so much concentrated writing skills and uh, artistic flourish because I don't feel like, I feel like he doesn't get the opportunity, George, to write like this all the time with these kinds yeah. of people. So it was, it was it's badass. It's just like such a different place. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really a big fan. Really liked it. And I really, like I said, and I have been saying this whole time, the, uh, I love the, the setting and the, the untouched by men aspect from a, uh, like a time capsule from a, a long ago time that's set up so much in the current story. And that's one of the things I've loved about a lot of those chapters that are in Essos and a dance of dragons, but this one's one of the best ones I think so far. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I really like Viterion, even though he's s- super problematic and kind of an asshole, a total asshole, a deranged lunatic, but he's so human. He's and, fun to read too. Yeah. He's fun to read, but I mean, what's not fun about pirates and monkeys and, bad plans that are definitely doomed to go awry sure totally fun um what i guess it's time for so you yeah you started off this whole podcast with one of your owns which i don't even remember what it is at this point but maybe you should finish your list that you said you had honestly there's so many i love how he's like the forest is too still <laughs> just finding <laughs> issues and everything being so far from mm-hmm. home um, that quote that we read before about Terry stabbing him back from hell, uh, we tweeted like weeks ago. So good. I was going to pick that originally. Um, do you have yours picked out? Yes, sir. I do go for it. I'm going to give my own to something we already mentioned, but we pretty much mentioned everything. Um, <laughs> this line, his brother had given 
him three cages of ravens too, so Kerwin could send back word of their voyaging. <laughs> but Victorian had forbidden him to loose them. Let the crow's eyes stew and wonder, which I think is a perfect summary of Victorian being out here thinking he's got the upper hand, him being super petty to his brother and not answering him back or like keeping updates with him. And I think it's hilarious. So that's my own for nice. the chapter. Nice. I feel like it would be messed up if I didn't just give it to the monkeys. And there's there's like tons of quotes in here of like him being, here's an honorable mention. Lord Captain, the maester looked like a mouse as well with his gray robes and a little brown mustachio. Does he think that makes him look more manly? It's got to be the monkeys Maybe though. What a, <laughs> what a device by George to give us those demonic creatures that infest like jump from ship to ship don't let one aboard they start treating it like it's their playground and they're right. their and way they just piss him off so much they piss him off so much because of reasons that we've already described he has no levity in his personality whatsoever and they're so connected to their their animal nature and they don't have all the same things that us humans have bogging them down and so throwing shit and reacting and then then freaking out when Makoro was kind of gaining his ground and being like, hell no. And leaving. And then leaving whenever they were inside the doing the, the ritual was bad enough. Yeah. And if that's not evidence that something crazy, I mean, it was already evidence enough that something crazy was going on. But those monkeys that were just having a, a blast disrespecting these dudes, ultimately leaving, and you know, they're not that close to the shore. You know, they're out enough to be floating in such large ships. You know, they had to struggle. But they got the hell out of there. So it was just cool having that because, I don't know, it's it's one of those touches, kind of like how I was talking about earlier, What if, if Victarian became something bigger than being just a lesson, how it would be kind of new feeling and sort of like a modern take on these things. That's kind of how the monkeys were for me. I know that it's like silly and we've literally been talking about shit, but that silliness and that that upfront boldness of it literally being the word shit is part of the reason why A Song of Ice and Fire is so good. It doesn't take itself yeah. too seriously, but while also being top-notch, next-level goodness. And uh, I can't describe it in a way that it deserves, unfortunately. But <laughs> um, I really enjoyed it, and I can't wait till Vic's next chapter. See if the monkeys show up again. Do we they? monkeys! They the- <laughs> we monkeys in the jungle! <laughs> Just a little plug for our favorite YouTube video. Um that's awesome. Yeah, I like it. If you want to send in your own, you can do so in a couple different ways. You can find us on Twitter at Game of Owns. You can find us on Instagram at Game of Owns. Um, you can email us contact at gameofowns.com. You can join our OnlyFans, Game of Owns. There's yep. so many options. So many options. Um, we also have a Patreon if you guys are interested in checking that out. Zach does like a solo podcast on there where he's going through from chapter one, book one. So if you want a little um, refresher of the beginning with a new perspective, I would recommend checking that out. Thanks. I just did Daenerys one. Can't wait to listen to it. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. The You can just go to uh, reread. No. Yeah. Rereadoficeandfire.com. We'll just send you right to it. I did that today. So high five. Our next chapter is Tyrion 10. In a Dance of Dragons. Um, that's number 104 on our reading list. So if you want to head over to a feastwithdragons.com, you can check out the next chapter, Tyrion. Wait, no, Tyrion 11. Did I say 10? It's Tyrion 11. Numerals um, are hard. <laughs> yeah. And 
there's like a million of them on this page. So it's Tyrion <laughs> Eleven and In a Dance with Dragons. You can check that out at afeastwithdragons.com. Tyrion's in our favorite place in the world. Where's that? Outside Marine. <laughs> oh, duh. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hannah, this was fun. Let's do it again. Yeah, this was awesome. Let's do it again sometime. I'm here for it. So we'll see everybody really soon. Bye, everyone. Bye.